I need to explain something before I go into the message this morning. If you go to our website right now and you want to follow the notes along, you're going to find a window comes up that warns you that it's not a secure site and it might be a scam site. What's happened is we made some upgrades to the website and some of the um, uh, settings got changed and it's Google hosted and we're trying to work with Google to get that fixed as it was explained to me. So there's no, um, it's not a fake site if you want to go there and follow the notes. I would ask you though today, uh, I hate to say this, but today please don't use our website for online giving until we get that restored. And then we'll send out an email to all of you that has been restored, should be able to get that fixed on Monday. I think that your risk by using the website right now is very, very small, but I want you to know that we guard that, we take that seriously and want you to be protected. And if there's any risk at all, we're gonna let you know. So right now today, um, don't uh, use it for financial giving, just hand me cash on your way out. <laughs> and then I'll be gone for about six months. The sayings of Christ from the cross, his last utterances. We've been looking at them, listening to them, trying to determine what Jesus was trying to tell us or what Jesus was telling us as he was dying on the cross. We started off with forgive them for they know not what they do, that it is all about lost people. Today you'll be with me in paradise, that there's forgiveness of sins and eternal uh, uh, presence with God. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother, the humanity of Christ. And then that brokenness, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's okay to not be okay. And the feedback I got, I know a number of you are in a place where you need God to do a work in you. And I want to remind you that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. Hello? Elbow your neighbor and say, that's good stuff, Maynard. Two words that we're going to focus on this morning, and those are the words that also show us the humanity of Christ, but I also think speak of something deeper, and those are the words, I thirst. The humanity of Jesus is again on display as he says from the cross, I thirst. What is he telling us in that statement? Number one, he's telling us that it matters that the scriptures matter. Hello? The scriptures matter. Here's what happened earlier in the biblical account. Prior to this, they offered Jesus a drink and he refused it. At the end, before he dies, he asks for a drink. Why does he refuse it here and accept it here? Well, let me talk to you for a moment about that first offer of a drink. The Bible says in Matthew 27, they came to a place called Golgotha, and there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And I want to give you a little bit of background on what's happening there to see what Jesus was doing for us as he died on the cross. The drink that was offered to Jesus, as recorded in Matthew, was a cheap Roman vinegar wine, which had a drug mixed in with it to dull the senses. So it was often offered to those hanging on the cross to help alleviate some 
of their pain. The Bible also tells us that it was mixed with gall. Gall is a word that means bitterness, and it normally speaks of a poison. So what they were offering in that moment was a beverage that had a, had a, a drug mixed into it to alleviate the pain and a poison to hasten the death of the one hanging there. It was to alleviate the pain and speed the process of death. Jesus was not willing to die from poisoning. Think of the scriptures that would not have been fulfilled had he drank from that cup. He refused to die of poisoning and he refused to do anything that would dull the senses and pain of that moment. Why? Because he was our sin bearer. Because he felt the full weight of our sin. And for him to be our sacrifice, it would have defiled the sacrifice to have imbibed in a substance that would have deadened his senses and hastened his death. Jesus did not want to die from poisoning or have his senses numbed while on the cross. He knew that to shed his blood in order for him to become our supreme sacrifice for the sins of all mankind was what he was there to do and he refused to take the easy way out. I want you to hear that. He refused to take the easy way out because the easy way out is not the way of the blessing God. Let me give you a little principle here that will help you. If you choose the easy way, I guarantee you that the easy way over time will get harder and harder and harder. But if you choose the hard way with the direction of God, the hard way will become easier as you grow and are strengthened by him. His mission was too important to be compromised by ingesting chemical substances. I'm going to let that sink in a minute. His mission was too important than to allow it to be compromised by the use of chemicals or drugs that would have alleviated his suffering or hastened his death. Now in that, I am not telling you that you can't take Tylenol. I'll never forget driving to church one Sunday morning, going past a drugstore, on Mother's Day, and it said, Mother's Day special, Tylenol, two for the price of one. <laughs> but there are things that we will look to that will recreationally put us in a place to give us an easy way out. I'm telling you that the bar is not an answer, that substances are not the answer, that Jesus has a better way and he walked through it to model it and say, I've been there, I paid the price, I will walk with you. And here's the good news, he will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, he's been there he's walked that road and he will do one of two things he will either take you through the fire or he will lift you out of it but either way it's your hand in the hand of Jesus and your suffering that'll bring you to the other side he wasn't willing to compromise the mission so why here does he request a drink well John 19 is very clear Here's what it says. Are you ready? For, is everybody listening right now? 
I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else, get this, and I'll say that five times. <laughs> Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled. Did you hear what I just said? He's done the job. He's about to die. But there's one more thing that's not yet been fulfilled. He said, I thirst. Jesus, in the moments of his dying, still cared about what the scriptures said. In his suffering, in his inconvenience, in his pain, in his stress, in his difficulty, he still put the scriptures in the forefront of his life and said, I will honor the word of God. Nothing can be left undone. Who of us would have criticized that? Who of us would have went looking for scripture and said, oh, he forgot to say I thirst. Oh, that one didn't get fulfilled. We would have given him a pass. He's suffering more than any mortal man before him. We would have said, it really doesn't matter. It's just a little deal. It's not a big deal. But in his dying moments, the word of God and honoring the word of God was more important than anything else that he was engaged in at that moment. If the word of God mattered to Jesus in the last seconds of his life on the earth, don't you think this ought to matter to us? But it doesn't. It doesn't matter to the American church. I hope it matters to you and that you're flying contrary to the American church. But biblical literacy is at an all-time low. And I can't tell you how many people try to change the word of God and rewrite it in moments when it's inconvenient to them. Well, you don't, well, I know what the word of God says. I get that, but I don't think it really applies in my situation. I don't think I have to honor it. You don't know what I'm going through. God will understand. Here's what God understands. The revelation of his word that he gave to us. That's what God understands. The word of God matters. Scriptures matter. The fulfillment and honoring of the word of God matters. He was cognizant and committed to the fulfilling of the scriptures. There are at least 28 prophecies that are fulfilled at the cross. From Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. When it says the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And the serpent would bruise his heel. From there until we get to Isaiah chapter 53. Where it talks about him buried in the tomb of a rich man. What do we find prophesied in the Old Testament? That he'd be betrayed, forsaken, sold out by 30 pieces of silver. He'd be scourged, he'd be mocked. There'd be false witnesses. He'd be silent. There'd be thieves on 
uh, crucified with him. They'd gamble for his clothes. There'd be no broken bones. Are all prophesied in the Old Testament. And every one of those fulfilled by him, including these about thirst. In Psalm chapter 22, recognized as a messianic psalm. The psalmist prophesies about the Messiah this way. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. It's prophesying the intense thirst that he would suffer. And then in in Psalm 69, just read the chapter and see all the prophecies that are there. Scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food. They gave me vinegar for my thirst. He couldn't choose to fulfill them all in his own strength, but he wasn't just relying on it in happenstance to be taken care of. He stood with intentional choice to say, the scriptures matter, and I will do everything in my power to fulfill what the word of God says about me. Imagine if we were to live that way. Look yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, today, I'm going to do my best to fulfill everything the word of God says about me. Oh, we want to say, we want to say, I'm rich. I am powerful. I'm strong, positive affirmations. And I believe in those, but I also believe if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. I also believe that it's true when Paul cries out, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. On and on the scriptures go with Christian character and conduct, how we should live our lives. That should matter to us. We say that it's our all-sufficient rule for faith and conduct, and yet we don't let it guide our faith and conduct. And I'm talking about the church as a whole It's our sword, it's our sustenance, it's our source of faith. It is the word of God. And if Jesus valued it in the closing moments, if it mattered that much to him, we should value it as well. And not try to conform the word of God to our circumstances, but change our circumstances to be in conformity with the word of God. I'm just talking to us this morning. That the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. How do we show that we value his word and seek to see it fulfilled? That's what he was dying to say to us. The second thing that it does speak to us about is that his suffering was real. Thirst was a very real part of the crucifixion experience His suffering was very real. How many of you have ever been thirsty? (laughs) Come on. One day I'm going to find a question that gets a unanimous response. (laughs) How many of you have ever been thirsty? I mean, really, really thirsty. I remember playing church league softball. We had a doubleheader tournament play. It is, I'm not making this up, it was 101 degrees with 90% humidity. We had just played a game and played hard, and I'm laying in the grass so thirsty and hot and tired that I'm thinking I'm going to die. 
when the other team we're going to play walks up and it's a bunch of college kids that had formed a team and one of them looked at me and I am almost melted in the grass and said a little hot are you and I wanted to say a little dead are you Think of the thirstiest you've ever been. And yet, probably, likely, there are few of us who have ever been in a place that we were at a level of thirst that put us in danger of death. You see, you can go, excuse me, you can go for a while without sleep. You can go 40 days if you're normally healthy without food. I don't know that. I've been told that. (laughs) But you can't go that long without water. There is a whole condition that you may have heard of called death by dehydration. And I've watched this happen personally. I did a little research on this to just kind of help clarify that and more in regard to this message. When my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, she took some, she tried to do some things, but she was at stage four and there was no hope for her only a matter of time. And you have, you'd have to know my mom. She was 5'1" and full of stubbornness. I've seen her do things that a five foot one person should not be able to do just out of stubbornness. And she would tell me regularly when she died, she said, I don't want to be put in the ground and have you kicked dirt on me. I want to be cremated. And my standard response was, you'll never know. (laughs) I mean, she'd be dead, right? You're looking at me like, how could you say that? How many of you know me? Why do you wonder why I would say that? (laughs) And you'd have to know my mom. So it came time. She had a red juice she liked to drink, chicken noodle soup that someone made for her she loved. And I'll never forget, there was a day that she decided no IVs, no fluids, and she refused to take anything by mouth. She had determined she was going to die on her own terms. And I watched her about seven days later as she passed from this life to the next. Because when you shut off water, you are going to die. They say, well, it's an easier way to die. I don't know if it is or isn't. I read about a physician whose father had a discussion with his son and would say to him, son, if I ever become incapacitated, I want you to give me hemlock. Now, that's not legal, but he wanted to die without having to go through that long, and he had a DNR, do not resuscitate order, and the doctor chronicled, while he couldn't give him hemlock, couldn't help him, his father decided no IVs, no feeding tube, no water, not anything, and watched as his body began to shut down. In those last couple of days, he would grab the bed and shake it, but didn't have the cognizant ability to be able to communicate or tell anyone what's going on. I'm just telling you that thirst can be a tormentor. What happens when you dehydrate? It's different for everyone, but stage one is simple thirst. You lose 2% of your body weight. When thirst kicks in, the body uh, clings to remaining moisture. Your kidneys send less water to your bladder. You sweat less. Your body temperature rises. The blood becomes thicker and sluggish. And to maintain oxygen levels, your heart rate increases. Stage two, when you lose 4% of your body weight, about the equivalent of riding a bike three hours in extreme heat without rehydrating, what happens? Your blood is so concentrated, 
resulting decrease in blood flow makes your skin shrivel, your blood pressure drops, making you prone to fainting. You're basically stopped sweating. And without this coolant, you, te- you begin to overheat. Stage three is organ damage, 7% of body weight loss. You could lose this much sweating doing exercising for eight hours without rehydrating. Your body's having trouble now maintaining blood pressure to survive. It's short It slows blood flow to the non-vital organs, such as your kidneys and stomach, causing damage. Without your kidneys filtering your blood, cellular waste begins to build up. You're literally dying for a glass of water. Stage four is death. When you lose 10% of your body weight to um, fluid loss, it's like going five days or running 11 hours in 90-degree weather without rehydrating. You need to drink some water immediately. If it's hot out, your uncontrollable body temperature means that your vital organs are at risk of overheating. Liver failure will probably kill you. But if conditions are mild, toxic sludge will build up in your blood. Your coroner's report will read that you died of kidney failure. I'm trying to get you to see that when Jesus said, I thirst, he was talking about a process that had brought him to death. We don't know the last time he had anything to drink. He had been whipped, crown of thorns put on his head. He'd been... He'd been uh, brought before them in a trial, one thing after another. As he neared death, Jesus said, I thirst. Thirst was one of the most distressing circumstances around a crucifixion. The wounds would have been highly inflamed. A raging fever um, suffered by the sufferings of the cross and accompanied then by insatiable thirst. The thirst was overpowering because of the loss of body fluids through open wounds and perspiration. So he's bleeding, has blood loss. He's not had a chance to hydrate at all. He's running more than likely an intense fever from all that he's gone through when he hung there and said, I thirst. He was right next door to death. What I find interesting about this is that he suffered for us. Now we know, and I'll, I'll expand a little bit later, we know that he got tired, right? He fell asleep in the back of a boat. We know that he got hungry. The disciples came and wanted to give him something to eat. And he said to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. But the Bible says after his testing in the wilderness, afterward he was hungry. We know that he experienced, we know that he wept, we know that he felt sorrow. But there is nowhere that I can find in scripture that Jesus ever expressed, the narrators tell us, but nowhere that Jesus expressed his personal need until that moment. At that moment, his suffering is real and it's personal. And he's saying, I believe, the Father didn't spare me. Angels have not helped me. This thirst is mine. It's real and it's personal. Jesus' suffering was real. It wasn't mitigated by divine power. It was fully experienced in human capacity. The first time that he expresses his personal need is just before he dies when he says, I thirst. The thirst had been in the case of the body of Jesus, what the dereliction by the Father had been to his soul. In his journey on foot, he felt weariness. In his voyage, he'd been overpowered by sleep. In the desert, he felt hunger. But now in fine, now on the cross, the most extreme burning thirst after his sweat, his goings back and forth between Caiaphas, Herod, Pilate, and the people, is speaking and scourging the nails. 
Amidst all of these, he had not said that I'm in pain. The fact spoke for itself as to his pains, which were foretold in scripture, but he does speak of his thirst in which all the rest have their confluence and termination and thereby he asked for a drink. For the scripture had foretold both the thirst and the drink. Thirst is what he felt most and to be quenched only when his toil had completely ended. What does that have to do with us? I just, I want you to hear me for a moment. We've been called to follow Christ. And when we are in heavy trial and feeling the pain of struggle, that does not mean you've done something wrong. There are times you've got to take up your cross. There's only one thing they did with the cross. They didn't make it into jewelry. You died on the cross. It was a place of pain and suffering. If you don't take up your cross, you can't be his disciple. Now, if you've done something wrong, you need to repent of that. Absolutely. I'm not mitigating that in any way. I am saying to you, though, that his suffering wasn't diminished by his mission. And sometimes your pain won't be diminished in your journey because God is doing something redemptive through your time of spiritual battle. Is there anyone in the house right now? Oh, pastor, I didn't come to feel worse. Oh, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. All things do work together for good. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. I'm not diminishing any of the virtues of the power of the resurrection. But I want to help you when you're in a place of trial and the pain is intense. That doesn't mean you failed him. It doesn't mean you've forgotten him. He's, he is using you to go through the valley of the shadow of death so that you can be strengthened to empower others. A positive confession, a positive gospel, a word of faith experience that doesn't deal with the reality of the human experience is fraudulent. There isn't anything in the word of God that you will smile every day because weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So somebody this morning, I need you to hear me, somebody this morning in the middle of a trial and you've been asking yourself, have I failed God? What have I done wrong? What do I need to do differently? Just understand that you're walking a road that he will use you to do something for his kingdom. It doesn't mean you failed. Now look, take inventory. If you're doing something wrong, repent of that and make it right. But suffering itself doesn't mean that you're out of fellowship with God. Hello? Wave at me if you're still awake. Three of you, good. That's more than last week. <laughs> We're called to follow him. Can you walk with him? The disciples asked, Lord, we want to sit with you, one on your right and one on your left. And he said, oh, can you drink the cup that I'll be drinking of and the baptism I'll be baptized with? And they said, oh, yes. And he says to them, you will. You will drink that cup and you will receive that baptism but only my father will determine your place in the kingdom.
Hello? I'm just trying to help you, help us. When we look at the cross, sometimes it's the fellowship of his suffering that digs the deepest furrow for the greatest harvest. Last, gets better now. His thirst satisfies the thirsty. I want you to think about this for a moment. Spiritual thirst is identified often in scripture. And while his was physical, I do think there's a spiritual component that becomes part of that. That we will not always be thirsty for the natural things. We will not always struggle. But it does talk about that desire for more of God. Psalm chapter 42 says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, or as the deer thirsts for streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There's a thirst for spiritual things that all of us ought to experience. In Psalm chapter 63, David in the wilderness of Judah wrote, O God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsteth for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry, thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory so as I've seen in the sanctuary. I found it interesting. Lazarus and the rich man. When the rich man is, when the rich man is in hell, what of his sufferings does he ask relief from? God, Abraham, would you, would you let Lazarus put a drop of water on my tongue? He was suffering in torment and pain, but the one that he asked relief from is a drop of water on his tongue. The horrors of hell are not just physical, they're also spiritual. A thirst for God, completely separated, no unity with him, complete thirst, nothing that satisfied. But I want you to know, he thirsted so you wouldn't have to. He thirsted so you wouldn't have to. The Bible tells us in John's gospel in chapter 4, when he meets with the woman, he says, whoever drinks of the water I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I have a drink that will always satisfy. In John chapter 6, when Jesus stands, um, he speaks to the crowds and says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And in John chapter 7, the last day, that great day of the feast, he said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. When I hear him say, I thirst, he bore in his body the suffering of my thirst so that my thirst could be satisfied. Hallelujah. His thirst paid for my thirst. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. And here's how I want to end this morning. I want us to think about this. I just find this fascinating. In Revelation chapter 7, heaven is described this way. Never again will they hunger. Never again 
will they thirst. He was thirsty so we wouldn't have to be. What was he saying to us? He was saying to us, listen, the scriptures matter. The scriptures matter. Let them be fulfilled in your life. His suffering was real. It wasn't diminished because he was the son of God. But he experienced thirst so you and I could be satisfied. I just wonder this morning if anybody's thirsty for more of God, for more of him. And maybe you've never experienced, head bowed, eyes closed for a moment. I wasn't planning to do this, but I feel God's presence in the room. No one looking around. You have a choice. You can let him satisfy your thirst now or you can be thirsty through all eternity. If you've never met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this morning would be a great day for you to do that. To come to Jesus and drink and let your thirst be satisfied. With no one looking around, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you just to lift your hand so that I can pray for you. Just slip it up. Just slip it up this morning. All right, secondly, if there's a thirst in your life where you lack, he is our source of supply. And my prayer is, God, make us thirsty for you. Make us thirsty for more of you. Could we stand together and just worship the Lord together, magnify him, and give him thanks that he was thirsty so that our eternal thirst could be satiated. One day I came to him I was so thirsty I asked for water My throat was so dry gave me water that I have never dreamed of but for this water my Lord had to die he said I thirst yet he Yet he made the sea. I first said the king of the ages. In his great thirst, he brought water. He said, I thirst. Now here's a river that flows clear as crystal. 
It comes from God's throne above. And like a river, it wells up inside me, bringing mercy. He said, I thirst, yet he made the river. He said, I thirst, yet he made the sea. I thirst, said the king of the age. In his great thirst, he brought water to me. Amen. Oh, he said, I thirst, yet he made the river. He said, I thirst, yet he If you're glad for that, let me hear your hands this morning. You brought water to me. I'm so glad there's a day coming that we'll never hunger or thirst, no sorrow or pain. And he paid that price for us. Amen. Amen. Again, thank you for being here. Thank you for your faithful support. Thank you for your financial giving, which you shouldn't do online today. But thank you for staying with us and walking with us. We've got some good things coming up ahead we're excited about. And let's believe God for more people to have their, to have their thirst satisfied when we gather together on Resurrection Sunday. Amen. God bless you. Greet someone. Be an encouragement to someone today.